Many organizations struggle when it comes to communicating and realizing their business strategies. Many workers don't even understand the strategies in their own company. Welcome to the North Star with William Ulrich. Find out where your organization stands, what you might be doing right, and where you can improve. Now, here's your host, William Ulrich. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, William Ulrich. You're listening to The North Star. Feel free to contact me by email on LinkedIn or at my website, tacticalstrategygroup.com. Today, we'll be discussing the AI-powered enterprise, why your organization may not be prepared. With my guest, Seth Early. You can find reference material related to this show, including a link to Seth's latest book on the North Star Radio Show page at my website, tacticalstrategygroup.com. Seth Early is CEO of Early Information Science, a professional consultancy. His current work covers artificial intelligence, cognitive computing, knowledge engineering, data management systems, taxonomy, ontologies, metadata governance, and metadata governance. Seth is author of the AI Powered Enterprise, for which he received the Axiom Silver Medal for AI in Business. His writings have appeared in IT Professional Magazine, Harvard Business Review, CEO World, and a variety of other publications. You can reach Seth at uh, Seth, S-E-T-H, at early, that's E-A-R-L-E-Y.com, on Twitter at Seth Early, uh, or on LinkedIn, or at his website, early.com. So welcome, Seth. Thanks for joining me today. Is there anything that you want to add regarding your background for the listeners? Well, I think you covered it pretty well. I've been in the space for a couple of decades and uh, still seeing many of the same issues we've seen uh, over these uh, decades, and we'll, we'll dive into all of that. But uh, I appreciate you. that. I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, so I want to make sure we're all on the same page with uh, a few basic definitions. Uh, so first of all, I want to start out with artificial intelligence or AI. Can you... Uh, can you give us a, 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 an understanding or a definition of that? Sure, sure. So there's a couple of broad classes of AI. People think of machine learning as a mechanism to identify patterns in data. It's used in a lot of different um, types of environments and, and applications. Uh, search back in the old days of when we were uh, doing work with Lotus and IBM, when they first uh, went into the AI space, we're using machine learning algorithms to improve search uh, effectiveness, recall, and precision. And uh, machine learning is still uh, a part of search. But we look at two broad classes where we uh, are either looking for patterns in data. Uh, and so <clears throat> uh, traditional predict, it's kind of an extension of tra traditional uh, predictive analytics. And that's where we're looking at large amounts of data, trying to find a pattern and predicting some outcome. <clears throat> and that can also be used uh, across uh, things like machine learning uh, uh, vision systems and so on. And then there's another broad class of uh, the so-called cognitive applications or cognitive AI. And those are the chatbots and virtual assistants and conversational uh, applications that really seek to reduce the cognitive load on the human. So AI is really a very broad class. It's, it's uh, uh, the foundation has been around for many, many years, for many decades. And you're starting to see more applications in, in across industries because of the amount of data that we have and the processing power and the advances in the algorithms and so on. But those are the two broad classes, either looking at, at um, uh, large amounts of structured data and looking for patterns and making predictions or looking at unstructured data and content and surfacing the right information for users uh, uh, via some of these conversational types of systems. 
So would we def- differentiate that from cognitive computing then? So cognitive computing is part of, uh, it, well, it can use both uh, types of, it can use uh, uh, data and uh, structured data and look for mm-hmm. the patterns in data. But when you look at cognitive computing, it's kind of a misnomer. It, the systems don't think, right? They're, they don't, mm-hmm. They don't cogitate, right? They, they don't right. have, you know, cognition. They 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 uh, are reducing the cognitive load in the human, and that's kind of what technology has been doing throughout its history, right? Whenever we do some kind of uh, website usability or or customer experience uh, program, we're trying to make it easier for people to be able to make decisions and deal with data and make choices. And and when we look at large amounts of information, the cognitive applications are trying to help humans process that and and achieve their goal or objective or make a decision that they need to to make. So uh, do people have a lot of misconceptions then about AI from your experience? Well, one of the, well, there's a couple of big uh, types of misconceptions. One is that uh, the machines will rise and, you know, take over and, you know, we're going to have this situation of uh, Skynet and and, uh, all of that science fiction stuff. That's kind of a, a general, you know, I don't think that, that the general population really thinks that these days. I think that that's been dispelled to a lot of uh, degree. People still sometimes are afraid of that. Uh, but I think the other is that the AI can do everything or do it without any human intervention. Or, you know, we used to go to conferences and we hear vendors say, oh, yeah, you don't need any, any you don't need to work, look at your data or clean your data. Our system will do that. You don't need any architecture. Our system right. will do that. You don't need to think about use cases, you know. So, they, so I once had a, a webinar where I invited some industry uh, experts and some folks from uh, large consulting uh, firms. And one of them said, oh, you just point your AI to all your data. And I said, you know, I'm going to disagree with that <laughs> because <laughs> yeah, it's right. really important to think about the the objective, the outcome, and what specific data sources you need. So there are a lot of misconceptions. I think that the biggest is that the AI will fix bad data or, mm. or does not need uh, that you don't need to worry about uh, those pieces, and also uh, just not understanding where the AI fits in terms of the business process. I think that's really where there's a, there's some misconception. Uh, good points, and we are going to talk a lot about data a little bit more today. Uh, I saw a recent uh, IDC study that that uh, projected AI spending to go from 50 billion annually in 2020 to 110 billion annually in 2024. Is this what you're seeing out there? Well, I only need a couple of billion of that, so okay. <laughs> I, I haven't seen that that billions yet. Uh, well, there's there's a lot of uh, attention to this. I think there's a lot of uh, wasted uh, resources. You know, when I wrote my book, I interviewed from some senior folks from financial services, insurance, and life sciences, and one of them said, you know, every organization of our size, and they were, you know, Fortune 500 company, has wasted several million dollars on failed AI initiatives. I think they're getting better. I, I would say that there's uh, an increasing attention. I'm not sure I would say that there's uh, a doubling of, of expenditures. Uh, I think organizations are a little more savvy these days about uh, how they're looking at AI initiatives and maybe spending a little more um, uh, carefully. Uh, but mm-hmm. we are seeing more attention to it. I wouldn't necessarily see a, a doubling of, of investments, but if that's what IDC says. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I always, I always take a lot of studies and I've been looking at a lot of studies. I always take them with a grain of salt. Um, so can we, I wanted to discuss uh, some of the successes that uh, you've seen organizations have with AI over uh, the past couple of years. Can you give us a couple of ideas or examples? 
Sure. So one of the things that, uh, that's been very effective for organizations, say, in financial services is, you know, uh, identifying fraud patterns and mm-hmm. identifying um, higher risk uh, uh, profiles for uh, applications or borrowers. Um, so we're seeing a lot of stuff that uh, financial services organizations have done over the years, but it's, it's uh, getting uh, brought to a new level. So we're seeing a lot of success with those types of things, and that's looking at their data, large amounts of data, and then making predictions about you know, risks of fraud and so on. Uh, on the cognitive side, uh, I would say that uh, there's been less uh, meaningful success, although some organizations are doing a better job of really narrowly um, uh, scoping their initiatives and uh, making sure that their uh, virtual assistants, you know, are, are very clear in terms of what they can do. But a lot of these, you know, chatbots and virtual assistants that are, you know, trying to respond to open-ended questions by by consumers or customers are not as, as successful. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot that's happening in terms of process opt- uh, optimization, uh, in uh, manufacturing industries, in terms of resource allocation, demand prediction, things like that. And there is a lot of success in you know, some aspects of, of personalization, although that has some caveats to it. But there are, some, there are definitely some successes in, uh, across industries. So where would you see uh, the greatest opportunities or does that, does that rely on the industry or depend on the industry or what do you see really the opportunities today for companies? Well, I think that there's a lot of uh, untapped opportunity in making the information that both internal and external uh, users, uh, uh, th- that they need more readily accessible and retrievable and findable. Uh, so, for example, uh, building out semantic search or retrieval, um, building out uh, applications that will contextualize the user's experience. Uh, making information more readily uh, accessible for employees and looking at internal processes. I think the whole unstructured content and knowledge space really has a lot more room to, to grow and to, and to improve. Uh, things like personalization at scale, personalization isn't done very well these days, uh, is, a, is a tremendous area of opportunity. And I think what's going to happen over the next few years is organizations are going to start seeing very, very high functioning uh, virtual assistants that will provide another level of, of uh, um, capability that we're not seeing today in the marketplace. And that is going to be based on <clears throat> the ability to componentize and chunk knowledge so that you can build question answering systems and so that you can retrieve exactly the information that you want when you need it. That applies to internal and external audiences. So when we do a search, for example, we don't want 100 documents, right? We want an answer. And one of the, if one of those documents is a 300-page manual, that doesn't help either, right? So we need to componentize our knowledge so that we can surface it more effectively. You know, one organization that just did this for their content operations is saving hundreds of millions of dollars per year just in that uh, whole content uh, and knowledge publishing lifecycle. They're, they're publishing once and then they're distributing it and syndicating out to all these downstream channels. That is a critical piece that needs to be uh, 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 put into place for organizations to be successful on these emerging uh, applications, especially high functionality uh, mm-hmm. virtual assistants and, and cognitive assistants. So what do you see as some of the obstacles uh, or uh, roadblocks that organizations have run into as well? 
Sure, sure. So I think the data is a big piece of this, right? Whether you're talking about machine learning algorithms that are working with structured data, many times when we build POCs or pilots, it's done in a sandbox environment. And there's a lot of time and attention put into, you know, normalizing and curating and, and uh, <clears throat> augmenting and, and enhancing the data for that POC. Uh, the statistic I heard is that uh, 80% of uh, the time that uh, data scientists are spending is more around being data janitors, right? <laughs> Cleaning up the data. And, and so we don't have that luxury in production, right? We don't have the ability to put that much time and attention and focus on production data. We just don't, it, it just moves too quickly. So what that means is we have to go to those sources and clean the data up and fix it and enhance it and normalize and harmonize and so on before we can go to production. So the data <clears throat> is very, very important, both you know, from the perspective of being able to operationalize this and also to be able to integrate across multiple parts of the organization. Uh, the other is that <clears throat> a lot of organizations are, are, are buying a hammer <laughs> and then looking for nails, right? They're, they're buying tools. They're saying, okay, we need AI, let's check that box. We have this technology. Okay, now what are we going to do with it? And the technology first approach really is 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 not a good one, no matter what yeah. technology you're looking at. It's identifying and understanding the processes that we're trying to improve and enhance and and uh, and <clears throat> and optimize that that we need to understand at a great level of granularity. I like to say you can't. Uh, you can't automate what you don't understand, right? If a human doesn't understand it, no AI tool is going to understand it. And, and you can't automate a mess, right? If things are very haphazard and chaotic and, and you know, there's more, um, uh, uh, more variations to, to a process and a lot of ad hoc stuff, that's going to be very difficult to apply AI tools to. So what we need to do is understand that process, you know, optimize the process as it is, and then look for the places where we can intervene and have an impact on a piece of that process. So it's really understanding those business cases, really understanding the capabilities of the tools and understanding where you can have an impact and an intervention that's going to improve that process. Um, I think the other piece is that a lot of times uh, there are no metrics, right? We don't know what we're, what we're measuring or impacting. We're not necessarily taking baselines. And therefore, when, when it comes to say, well, let's, let's roll this out. This is great. Or um, we need more funding or, or whatever it is. There's no business justification. So right. if we don't start off with the process in mind, the objective and baselines where we can measure the impact, it's going to be very difficult to get long-term sustainable value. So if you have a thousand people or 2000 people doing something and you don't know that and you don't know what they do or how long it takes them to do it or what that's costing you, uh, that's not a really good baseline to go from, right? right? Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I have the inclination that there's um, a lot of low-hanging fruit out there mm-hmm. that, that these companies aren't grabbing. Um, and, and I think it's just below the radar of, of a lot of organizations. So is it fair to say that uh, the AI investments have not really delivered the kinds of returns that business leaders uh, sometimes hear about, read about, or expect. <laughs> Here's what's really interesting. The answer is they're not achieving the motherhood and apple pie and, and mm-hmm. all the wonderful things. You don't hear about projects that are going to reduce your, your revenue and increase your costs, right? Every right. one of these projects are doing those great things. Now, what's interesting is when you read about stuff 
in the magazine articles and you read about an organization doing certain things. I have found in very specific instances, either it's an organization we've worked with or where I know people, if you talk to the people at the front lines, that's not happening. Uh, so people on the front lines aren't seeing the same thing that the executives are thinking. Is Correct. that a fair, fair statement? Um, yeah, and and frankly, I, I mean, you know, we've we've had a number of conversations on on different shows uh, in the North Star talking about uh, the fact that that uh, people at one level are making these plans and strategies and investing in things, and they don't have any idea what's going on down down at another level. Uh, and um, and I think that that's probably true here. When I mentioned low hanging fruit, I mean we we see people, you know, the hundreds of people uh, creating and handing data off in spreadsheets. Uh, from one to the other, it's it's you know more archaic than than one can even imagine. So, uh, you know, I think what I want to continue talking about um, as we go here are some of those opportunities as well. And um, and 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 Seth, you mentioned data and uh, information, and I think we're, we're going to get into that a whole lot more. I think that's one of you, one of the things you consider to be one of your big roadblocks. You mentioned, right? Right, right. Yeah. Um, so let's uh, let's just take a, a quick break here. Uh, you're listening to the North Star. I'm William Ulrich. We're discussing the AI-powered enterprise. Why your organization may not be prepared with my guest Seth Early. You can contact Seth at Seth at early.com. And we'll be right back after a short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you having trouble articulating your strategic objectives? Not sure if your program investments are aligned to your strategic vision? Wondering why your six, seven, and eight-figure program investments seem to evaporate into thin air, even as your business teams are left to add more people, take on more risk, and take heat from unhappy customers? Tactical Strategy Group's William Ulrich can help ensure that your strategic objectives translate into sustainable, successful investments. For more information, visit our website at tacticalstrategygroup.com. Business news and discussions are always changing. In order to stay ahead of the game, sometimes you need to be a follower. You can follow the Voice America Business Channel on Twitter at Voice AM Business. Again, that's at Voice AM Business. And stay current. Your organization is spending seven, eight, or even nine figures annually on transformation programs. And you're questioning the bottom line business value. You were told not to worry. We've engaged the best system integrators and they said all is well. Has your IT organization become a black box where money goes in, but nothing comes out? Tactical Strategy Group's William Ulrich has seen every side of this story, from upfront happy talk to painful post-mortems. Find out what's really going on. Visit tacticalstrategygroup.com and ask about TSG's Transformation Oversight Service. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to the North Star. If you have a question or comment about the program, please send an email to WMMulrich at TSGConsultingInc.com. That's WMMulrich at TSGConsultingInc.com. Now, back to the North Star. Here again is William Ulrich. Welcome back to the North Star. I'm William 
William Ulrich. You can reach me on LinkedIn by email or at my website. We're discussing the AI-powered enterprise with my guest, Seth Early. Um, before we got rolling, uh, or before the break, we uh, talked a little bit about uh, data and uh, its issues and, and role in, uh, and, in uh, AI and, and how it can be a block. So first, I want to talk about, Seth, with um, information and data. Uh, can you explain to us if there's a difference so we're all on the same page? Sure, sure. I, I try not to get into too much of the uh, holy war around the difference between data <laughs> and information and knowledge because you can right. get endlessly uh, tied up in those definitions. However, uh, data is really just that, the raw data. It's it's uh, the the numbers and the text and and not necessarily uh, in, in a format where you can make decisions. And I think of the information is information that you can apply to a problem used to solve, uh, you know, address an issue uh, and, and move your objective forward. So information is pretty raw. I mean, I'm sorry, data is pretty raw and, uh, and foundational. And then information is something that you can uh, do something with. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a, uh, a, good, um, a good overview. So, so what are some of the issues that you run into with uh, information, data, and then AI deployments that, that, you, sure. that you encounter? Sure. So one of the things I talk about in the book is junk data, right? Mm-hmm. The, the data that is just out of date and and uh, unusable and, and uncurated and so on. And when you think about it, you know, our world tends toward disorder, right? Entropy is kind of a foundational physics principle, right? Everything moves from order to disorder. Your desk gets messy and you have to clean it up. Your house gets messy and you have to clean it up. You have to put energy into organizing things. And otherwise it just devolves into chaos and and so on. But when you think about information in the organization, uh, applying tagging and taxonomy and metadata and doing curation and vetting and editing and refining assets is really the energy that you put into reversing that disorder, reversing an entropy, and making things more more consumable and more useful and more valuable. <clears throat> and so, the issue is that many organizations don't have mechanisms for that. And a simple thing to do is really separate high value information and content from lower value and being able to start with that process of of foundational curation. Uh, But it goes across the organization in terms of structured and unstructured information and and data. And so it really becomes uh, an issue of organizations have all of this dark data, all of this information that they, they really don't know anything about. And it's just often these black abysses of repositories and knowledge bases and document uh, systems and file systems. And really they, they, they can't access it. They don't know what it is and they don't, they're not able to leverage it. So people end up recreating stuff all the time. So it, it really is that, that uh, issue of not putting the energy into curating and updating and managing and organizing that information. Can we uh, uh, just talk about structured data versus unstructured data? You mentioned that a couple of times. I want to make sure people are on the same page there. Sure. So when you think about you know, financial information, when you think about inventory levels, when you think about uh, you know, uh, performance uh, on, on an e-commerce site, there's a lot of structured data that uh, you know, in the financial organization, we're dealing with lots of different accounts and managing that, uh, that data that is about performance and about uh, financials and resource allocation and, and so on. So we have some pretty good uh, 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 functionality and, and discipline around much of the structured 
data that organizations use to, to run on a day-to-day basis. Uh, on the unstructured side, you know, the, there can be unstructured content, which is really, you know, documents and, and text and, you know, emails and social media types of, uh, of content. You know, people say things like, well, we, we can't put the energy into, you know, organizing this. Oh, it's too much time and, and, and money. And, oh, I have to tag this stuff and I have to organize it. Can you imagine going to the financial organization and people saying, all these numbers, you know, we have to put them in the system. They have to add up, right? Oh, it's just too much, too much work. Right? Too much detail. Of course not. It's ridiculous. You know, so so we have a completely different line of thinking around structured data versus unstructured content. And we have to start thinking of the value of unstructured content. I've seen organizations spend $150 million on ERP. And then when it came to spending a million dollars on content and knowledge, they weren't ready to do it. And I said, why is it so different? Right. I, it's it's flabbergasts me every time, and uh, you know with and uh, you know it's who knows, you know what the motivation there or non motivation. Maybe it's not shiny enough for people. I, it, I talked about shiny objects a lot, and yeah, yeah, in my it's, first show, it, yeah, it doesn't show. It doesn't have immediate tangible value, right? Right. We have to look at at processes and how our data and content are supporting processes. We have to have foundational. Uh, measures of the quality and completeness, then we have to understand the process and what process we're trying to enable and what those baselines are. And then we need to look at the process supporting an outcome. So it's much more challenging to do that with, with unstructured information and unstructured data, unstructured content. It's much more difficult. But I once had a, um, a CFO say to me for uh, uh, an organization we were doing some uh, knowledge work with, and he said, why do we need, you know, taxonomies and ontologies? Why don't we just get Google? And they said, well, do you have a, a chart of accounts for the finance organization? He goes, of course I do. Well, why don't you get rid of your chart of accounts and just get Google? Because a taxonomy is a chart of accounts for knowledge. Right. Right. So in any case, you know, there is a very different way of looking at the structured versus the unstructured in terms of how seriously people are taking it, how they value it, and the processes around it. And as I say, that this is going to be increasingly urgent and critical as a foundation for digital transformations and for uh, enhanced customer service, for building virtual assistants, for building cognitive applications. There's a first chapter of the book where we talk about this vision of the future, where this guy interacts with all of these virtual assistants. And it's just like talking to people. Well, we're not there today, but one day we will be there. We will be there. That is going to be our world. We're going to be talking to these things like we're talking to our assistant, and they will be virtual assistants that work for us as well as the virtual assistants that work for organizations. And the companies that don't have the foundational knowledge and content, this is all unstructured stuff in place and, and are not looking at curating and managing that and componentizing it, are going to be caught flat-footed. And there's going to be a real scramble to try to fix that stuff. Yeah, there, there's basic things I run into that I see just constantly everywhere. It's, a, you know, if you take something as simple, well, it's not simple, but the, the, the view of the customer, right? And we've got, we don't have a single view of the customer. We, we get co- customer discontinuity. You've got 15 or 20 different instances of John Smith and they're all over the place. And you can't tell the difference from one to the other. Well, you know, that, that impacts your, your customer performance, your customer experience, right? Absolutely. So there's some very, ba- and I know you do a lot of work in that area. And there's there's mm-hmm. some very basic things that people, 
uh, are not doing. Uh, you know, they talk about the customer experience. There's a lot of good, you know, people are doing that upfront work. And then when it comes back down to fixing, as you were talking about, the, the data, right? Th- then it, yeah. the, you know, everything kind of just falls back apart, right? Yeah. And, and I just wrote a piece on this uh, recently. In these digital transformations, it's unbelievable to see the disconnect between the investments that are being done in, say, product information mm-hmm. versus the investments that are being made in the knowledge and the content. Mm-hmm. People are doing things like, well, let's just do enough SEO for, for uh, let's just do enough content architecture for our SEO. That's not going to cut it. And, and I've seen multiple transformations where down the road, two, two years out, three years out, they say, wait a minute, what are we going to do with all our knowledge? <laughs> right? It's all <laughs> distributed. It's in all these different places. We don't have easy access to it. And that's because of the siloed nature of that. You don't have people that have control and authority across business units because it's so diverse. It's so heterogeneous. Yeah, you know, even the people that should know better, I've been on like seeing $150 million programs that uh, data was an afterthought, right? They yes. didn't think about uh, organizing their their information in, in, in any viable way. Can, can you just give us uh, uh, an insight? We talk about junk data. I think a, a lot of us probably can figure out what that is, but uh, can, can you just give us an idea that 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 context? Sure. So we were doing a project for a large uh, global manufacturer of um, uh, well, we'll just call them widgets, <laughs> mm-hmm. but they were, they were used in manufacturing connectors and things like that. Multi-billion dollar company. And when we went in, they had a digital agency that was handling the transformation and the customer experience, but they, they didn't have anybody looking at the foundational product data. They kind of assumed they had the product data. And what happened was, you know, they had brought in a vendor to look at fixing their product data. Uh, they gave them a $250,000 proposal and in it included, and it was a, a line item for photography. So they're going to take pictures of their widgets and put them in a hierarchy. That project alone for the product data cost about $3 million. It was a $25 million transformation. So that's where you had one organization that thought it was a $250,000 problem. It was really a $3 million problem and a multi-year problem. And what executives say, what CIOs say, what CDOs say, CMOs, I don't want to have to fix this problem every 18 months because that's what happens. They clean it up and then they have to do it all over again. So, so much of it is about fundamental change in processes and change management and getting people aligned and putting those new practices into uh, operation so that you can build the maturity around data and and content and information uh, curation and management. So, you don't have to keep fixing it, you know, because you can clean it up, but, but unless you do something to fix those core processes, it's just going to go out of alignment again. And uh, in this case, this project, this program would have been a failure if the data was not addressed because you could do all this transformation, build all this technology. And if your data isn't there, forget it. That's the entire user experience is comprised of data. Right, everything on our mobile devices and our laptops, every digital experience is all data. If you don't have that data, you can't fix it with acts of heroics, right? You can't have people work nights and weekends to fix that stuff. It has to be fixed at the core and upstream. You need service level agreements with your vendors and suppliers so that they give you good data along with the products, right? There's a lot of things that need to happen and change needs to be 
uh, uh, taking place in a controlled way, right? We can't just have haphazard updates and changes, new projects that are going to start off, you know, with a clean slate, you know, building their metadata and data structures and data architecture. We really have to have centralized standards, decentralized execution, and rules and decision-making bodies and decision-making guidelines for keeping it up and making changes and being very intentional about that process. Yeah, I, I was on one uh, effort where um, they actually built a, uh, you know, established a data integrity uh, team, a committee, a review review team in the, from the business people uh, that, that would meet once a week. And, and you would think that, that they had been drafted into like the worst possible job you could ever have. Yeah. And, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I don't, I, I really don't, uh, you know, frankly, don't, don't understand where people are coming from. I think there's a related issue here that you mentioned and have talked about uh, in terms of business uh, unit silos. And uh, we, we've actually talked about this quite a bit on, on this particular show uh, the, because silos impact all kinds of different things. But uh, you've seen some issues there as well mm. with, with uh, silo business units and lack of communication across silos and probably information as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, so many of these organizations, these large you know, global enterprises are growing through acquisitions, right? So whenever you're acquiring a company, how do you integrate it into your processes and your ecosystem? Sometimes they're left as standalone business units mm-hmm. and they're hands off for a while, but eventually they have to be brought into the fold, at least in terms of achieving some synergies or, or uh, efficiencies of scale or you know, ability to serve customers more effectively. So you do need to do cross-sell. You do need to be able to do upsell. You do need to be able to have you know, those uh, acquisitions uh, woven into the fabric of the of the enterprise. And that is difficult. It's costly. It's time consuming. And then when you start thinking of all those information systems that they have that are probably disparate and disorganized, right? You're trying to bring them in and you're trying to add some order uh, to the chaos. And so the, the challenge here is that uh, you know, it, it, you can't expand the scope to include everything, <laughs> yeah, right. right? We have to be careful. And digital transformations have broad scale, broad scope, large scale and broad scope. So it, we, by, nece- by necessity, we have to limit the scope of these things and we can't do everything. So there's always going to be silos. There will always be challenges of communicating across those silos. The question is, what is critical to the functioning of the organization that needs to be integrated, what's critical to the customer experience, what's critical strategically and tactically that needs to be brought into this. And and breaking down those silos is is great on paper, (laughs) makes a great PowerPoint, but doing it in practice is very, very difficult. Different lines of authority, different um, uh, cost centers, different uh, management styles, different products, different customers, different segments. So it it is very challenging to do this, but we do need to be intentional if if we're going to have a different set of organizing principles in business unit A versus business unit B, we need to be intentional about it. Doesn't mean everything has to be the same, but we have to be intentional about that decision making. So people have different dialects across those different yes. silos, right? And and that yes. that and so I, I wanted to just get into you mentioned earlier, but uh, ontology and taxonomy, just yes. for, for the listeners. Can you just give us a sure a quick under a background on understanding of those two things? Sure. So a taxonomy is a is basically a, a hierarchical way of organizing information. I like to say hierarchies are for humans, right? Because yeah. machines don't care about big lists, but humans need 
to group things in ways that make sense. So taxonomies are organizing principles. Now, when we start off building taxonomies, we want to look very broadly at all of the different uh, domains of the organization. And the fact is, we'll never bring it, build a single taxonomy. There's always multiple taxonomies, products and services and people and documents and customer types and regions and you know different types of services and so on. And so each of those will have its own hierarchy. And then when we relate them together, that's when we have an ontology. It's like, what are the products that go with the service? What are the services that go with this product? What are the solutions to these problems? You know, who has expertise in this particular area? And what that does is it allows us to uh, traverse, it, it becomes the, the knowledge scaffolding of the organization. And it allows us to traverse different domains of information and knowledge. And it also can help us begin to integrate those different sources because we do need a semantic layer that will communicate between one set of organizing principles and another, one part of the organization and another. So, so and, and AI technologies and machine learning technologies need that reference. They need mm -hmm. to know what's important. They need to know the names of your products, the names of your services, the names of your solutions, and they have to be consistent. So when we're building an ontology, it becomes that Rosetta Stone. It becomes that knowledge scaffolding on which we can organize lots of different processes and content and information, and which becomes that reference architecture for your AI and machine learning algorithms. And, and, and it powers lots of different types of applications. It's that, it's that reference data. It's that source of truth for the organizing principles across the enterprise. And we're going to pick up on that after our uh, next break. You're listening to The North Star. I'm William Ulrich. We're discussing the AI-powered enterprise with my guest, Seth Early. You can contact Seth at uh, Seth at early.com. We'll be right back after a short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Your organization is spending seven, eight, or even nine figures annually on transformation programs. And you're questioning the bottom line business value. You were told not to worry. We've engaged the best system integrators and they said all is well. Has your IT organization become a black box where money goes in, but nothing comes out? Tactical Strategy Group's William Ulrich has seen every side of this story, from upfront happy talk to painful post-mortems. Find out what's really going on. Visit tacticalstrategygroup.com and ask about TSG's Transformation Oversight Service. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Are you having trouble articulating your strategic objectives? Not sure if your program investments are aligned to your strategic vision? Wondering why your six, seven, and eight-figure program investments seem to evaporate into thin air, even as your business teams are left to add more people, take on more risk, and take heat from unhappy customers? Tactical Strategy Group's William Ulrich can help ensure that your strategic objectives translate into sustainable, successful investments. For more information, visit our website at tacticalstrategygroup.com. 
when it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to the North Star. If you have a question or comment about the program, please send an email to wmmulrich at tsgconsultinginc.com. That's wmmulrich at tsgconsultinginc.com. Now, back to the North Star. Here again is William Ulrich. Welcome back to the North Star. I'm William Ulrich, and you can reach me on LinkedIn, email, or my website. We're discussing the AI-powered enterprise with my guest, Seth Early. Uh, we were talking about information and data. Uh, Seth, you were famously quoted, and, mm-hmm. and I just want to make sure everybody knows that Seth is the actual originating source for this quote, that there's no AI without IA, in other words, information architecture. Can you uh, give us a little background there? Sure. So I wrote an article back in uh, 2015, 2016 for IT Professional Magazine, um, which is uh, part of the IEEE. And it, I was doing research and I kept hearing all this stuff about you know AI magic. And I kept saying, well, what is really behind the scenes here? And the more I looked, the more I realized that uh, absolutely an absolutely critical piece of this was to understand the information architecture. And when organizations, when vendors say, oh, you don't need to do that, our system does it. Well, that's because somebody else did it. It's all about classification. And so I run through an example of you know, an organization, a vendor that was building some tools. And when they talked about it, they said, well, we first, we classify the intent into blah, 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 blah. And we classify according to this. Well, classification is information architecture, right? What are you classifying it against? Product, services, whatever it is, solutions, customers, problems. And, and so the idea is that you have to have foundational data, good quality data, curated data. In some cases, it can be incomplete uh, and the AI can help with that. In some cases, it being poor quality and the AI can help with that, but it needs that reference architecture. It needs to understand the terminology that your organization uses to describe your, your products, your services, your solutions, your offerings, your customers, uh, everything about that enterprise. That is really what has to happen because those tools don't know about your organization. Sure, they can have generic uh, 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 functionality that'll cut across everything, but but really, uh, the, when you have to think of it this way, you have to think that uh, that standardization is for efficiency, differentiation provides competitive advantage. Mm-hmm. And so your differentiation is, your, is, is based on your knowledge, your knowledge of customer needs, your knowledge of solutions, your knowledge built into products and offerings and so on. And that is the differentiator. So when you think about this, you, the architecture of these applications, the un- fundamental underpinning of these things has to be that understanding of your world, your uh, information domains, your knowledge domains, your products, and so on. And so no AI is going to know that without you teaching it something. Right. Maybe it'll learn from data, but you really should give it the, the, the source of truth. And, and um, the business plays a role in this, right? The, the, yes. they're, they're, not, they're not hands off here. Oh yes, that's right. When uh, the example I like to use is, can you imagine if, um, uh, if uh, somebody came to the IT organization and said, you know what? We have bad data in Salesforce. We, our, our, our salespeople aren't entering the information about the customers. They're not tra- tracking their opportunities. They're not organizing. IT, fix that problem. That is not an IT problem. 
No, right? it is not. There's no way IT is going to fix that problem. That is a business problem. That is a business process. That is that is compliance. So, so much of the business needs to own its data. The business needs to understand the role of its uh, data and its processes in the outcome of these systems. And so business needs to own data. IT can enable that. IT can provide tools. It can provide platforms. It can provide standards. But the business really needs to own its data. And this is one of the areas where I think, and, and it's not the only, but it's probably one of the biggest areas where the business has abdicated its responsibility. Yeah. Is that oh, a fair yeah. statement? Yeah. yeah. So, so you had mentioned governance before and the mm-hmm. fact that people you know, will avoid a meeting about governance and data at all yeah. costs, right? right. They'll look at the calendar. How's never work for you? Never right. works for me. I, I have never, I'll put, down, I'll put this down for never. Right. So, but the point is that you have to have the right stakeholders at the right meetings doing, talking about the right level of granularity. If you get into too much technical detail with a business stakeholder, it's a waste of their time. Mm-hmm. If you stay at a business process level and you're talking about st- technical stakeholders, it's going to be a waste of time. So you really need to calibrate these meetings and the agendas and and the uh, the the working uh, uh, you know the, the, the working framework of these groups appropriately and and that can be somewhat complex. We built a governance structure for an enterprise for a publisher many years ago, and and it was it was incredible because this global publisher had something like twenty five content initiatives going on at once. They had all these d- different transformations. They had a hundred business units. They had brands and imprints and, and markets. And, and uh, nobody had read these strategic plans of these 25 initiatives. When I printed them out, there were two giant uh, binders. And what we did was we had to build a governance process that ended up having two spreadsheets, one of which had 2,000 cells in it mm-hmm. to understand who should be brought to the table under right. what circumstances. That was supposed to be an 18-month roadmap. Five years later, I talked to them. They said, oh, yeah, we still use that. We call it the Bible. Five years after that, they, I said, you know, you used to call this the Bible. Oh, yeah, we still do. And then another two years after that. So 12 years, they were using this process and framework because it laid out all the things that these different groups had to do, needed to do, and, and, and it was flexible and adaptable enough to, to change with the changing technology. It sounds like we've hit a couple of these, but what are some of the common mistakes that you see with uh, the business leaders are making or sh- things that they should avoid with AI? Yeah. Well, the first one is assuming they have data, <laughs> right? Yes. Assuming they have a knowledge base. I once talked to a vendor and I said, wait a minute, show me this virtual, you have this virtual system. Tell me how it learns. Show me how it, it, you update it. And he brings me to an admin screen that had uh, questions and answer pairs, and even the questions had variations and had misspellings. I'm like, wait a minute, you're not even using machine learning to identify intent. This is not sustainable. And he said, oh, well, the customer has a knowledge base. I said, really? The customer has a knowledge base? Well, that is an interesting assumption. And, and it, it brings to mind a joke uh, about assumptions and about economists, but it's like a, a, an economist, a chemical engineer, and a mechanical engineer on a desert island. They have a container of food, but they don't have an implement to open it. So the mechanical engineers are going to use coconuts and physical processes to break it open. The chemical engineer is going to use seawater and sunlight to erode it. And the economist says, assume a can opener. Now, you're assuming <laughs> the solution to your problem. So assuming right. a knowledge base is assuming a can opener. You cannot assume that you have that. So many organizations assume they have the data. They cannot assume right. a can opener. I, I tell people all the time, vendors build tools 
and to expect more and deliver tools, but to expect any more from a, a technology vendor or a software vendor is to expect too much. And, right. and it, people make that mistake all the time. It's like, because you built this technology, you must be a genius in this area. Right. And, um, and, and they miss it all the time. I, I did want to touch on, and we've talked about this our, uh, offline and organizations that are on the digital transformation journey and, and how leaders should tie that in with AI strategy. And, and um, no. you had some stats you threw out before <laughs> we started today. Can you uh, yeah. give us some insight there? Well, one of the one of the interesting stats about digital transformations is that um, only thirty percent of them succeed, right? Mm-hmm. So seventy percent of digital transformations end up in failure of some sort. I think that's a tough statistic because how do you define success? How do you define failure, right? Because it's a learning experience and it carries on. Maybe it didn't meet all the expectations of a of a project when it was laid out, but you know you you really have to learn from these things. But the other was talking about how only a small percentage of organizations are getting value from their AI initiatives, right? So they're, they're, they're making these investments, but they're not getting business value. Then you start seeing certain pundits say, well, AI can enhance your digital transformation or build your digital transformation around AI. So you're taking one thing that has a poor track record of success and another thing that has a poor track record of business value, and you're trying to combine those to get more value. I mean, again, it's, it's like... I, I, I don't think that that math works, right? I don't think you're yeah. going to uh, be successful if you're predicating it on those things. The transformation should be about processes and about value and value change and customer experience. And the AI needs to be about finding specific places to uh, to integrate and to have an intervention to improve a process, right? Mm-hmm. So you really need to think of those things. One is a tool to help with the other. It's not a matter of saying your digital transformation is about AI. It's like saying your digital transformation is about ERP or about you know e-commerce. It, it's that's a tool. That's that's an environment, but it's not the focus of the digital transformation. Your stats track, however, with uh, um, the stats we were getting from uh, Jim Johnson of the Standish Group in one of my earlier shows, uh, well, we talked about that 30% success, 70%. They're not all called failures, but they're all the, but they don't also qualify as successes. Uh, so I think the stats are, are yeah, and I, I see a lot of organizations who say, we haven't done anything for 35 years, and now we want to do all of these advanced leading edge things together in one big bundle. Right. Um, so, and, and, and like they're going to be able to do any of that because they've never achieved the maturity as right. an organization to be able to do that. And maybe you can make a comment on yes. organizational maturity here. Yes. <clears throat> well, we, use, we love to use maturity models. <clears throat> and what a maturity model do, does is it says, if you're trying to achieve something, what are the components that need to enable mm-hmm. that objective? So if you're talking about uh, content optimization, well, there are multiple dimensions or product information or any of these areas or knowledge processes or the customer journey. There are multiple components to those uh, maturities and those capabilities. And governance is one, architecture is another, there's technology, this integration, this user experience. But all of those are along a continuum of you know, stage one through stage five, right? Stage one is it's horrible. Stage five is you, you, you achieve nirvana. But the point is that many of these things have to work together. So personalization at scale through orchestration requires capabilities and maturities in multiple areas. You need to understand that customer journey. You need to have a handle on your content processes. You need to be able to uh, have knowledge of the customer needs. You need to be able to integrate these different sources, have good product information. If you're lacking in any of those areas, 
you will not be able to achieve overall success because you have a, a critical gap in a supporting process. We once did a personalization project for an organization, built all the architecture. It was great. And then when it came down to it, at the end of the day, they could not differentiate the messaging between one persona and another. So all the messaging was the same. So the point here is that they didn't have the maturity of process, supporting process, knowledge of the customer in order to differentiate that message. How is personalization going to work if all your messaging is the same? <laughs> right? and, so and, architecture doesn't yeah. matter, right? And, and I see that our organizations are very realistic about uh, assessing their own maturity level oh, across yeah. these areas. <laughs> let, let me. Uh, what, what's your advice in our last uh, minute or so here on, sure. on to business leaders as they're looking to craft or implement their AI strategy? Do not overlook knowledge and content. You have to look at the unstructured. We're going to be differentiating and competing on unstructured information, not unstructured data. That is the source of competitive advantage. That is the source of competitive differentiation. How you communicate that to your customers and the marketplace at scale without overwhelming them and without giving them too many choices is really the, 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 the fundamental thing that we need to do as organizations. And the digital transformations have to include that. Too much of the time, the customer service organization or support organization has mandates to do things like reduce time per incident. Well, right. that's they're calling because they have a problem. Go fix the problem. Right? That's great advice. Um, so thank you. Uh, my guest today has been Seth Early of Early Information uh, Sciences. Uh, we've been discussing the AI-powered enterprise, why your organization may not be prepared uh, you can reach Seth at Seth at early.com on Twitter at Seth Early or on LinkedIn or his website early.com. Uh, you can find us, uh, including Seth's book, materials <laughs> related to what we talked about today on the North Star Radio Show page of my website, technicalstrategygroup.com. I uh, really thank you, Seth. I think we're going to have to have you back at some point for sharing your insights with us today. Uh, my guest next week will be Charles Bowman. We'll be discussing business-driven software design. Get into this a little bit more. Uh, you've been listening to The North Star. I'm your host, William Ulrich. You can contact me by email on LinkedIn or at my website. Thanks for joining me today, and I'll talk to you all next week. Thank you for tuning in this week to The North Star. Please join host William Ulrich for another edition of the program next Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll continue our discussion on strategy execution then. 